Very good. Well, in preparing for week two of our series called Game Plan, which is going through this month, I wanted us to focus on something. What I want us to focus on today is kind of twofold. The first part of it is I want us to focus on strategy. You, you can't have a winning season if you don't know your strategy, okay? And, and you can't know your strategy if you don't know your playbook, all right? So here's, here's what I want to do. For all intent and purposes, that being said, I want you all today and today only to look at the church through a different lens, okay? I want to challenge you to, to take away every, all your preconceived notions of, of the church and Christianity because today I want you to look at, at us and, and at Christianity as you know it as a team. But not just a team. I want you to look at us as a professional team. Not just any professional team because, you know... I'm not much of a rugby player or a soccer player, but I like football. So we're going to look at the church as a professional football team today. Now, if we do this, there are a couple of things that, and this may really shake the, the foundation for some of you, but just, just go with it for today. If we look at the church and, and at Christianity as we know it, as a professional football team for a moment, we have to do this. Uh, it, it changes the perspective, all right? It means that, God is the team owner, okay? He, I mean, he created the team. He gave us the playbook. He, he set forth the rules of the game, so to speak. And if God is the team owner, then that means that Jesus would be the general manager, okay? Are you kind of, you tracking this so far? And if Jesus is the general manager and God is the team owner, then that means the Holy Spirit would be like the head coach, okay? Now, understand that I, I understand and, and I appreciate the equality of the Trinity. I'm not trying to separate them in, in anything other than just God's the owner of this team. Jesus is the, the general manager of the team and the Holy Spirit is like our head coach for the team. But, but it can't stop there. Um, we had to move on. We have assistant coaches. And, and as I see it in, in my mind for, for this purpose, our assistant coaches would be the ministers of the church. Your, your senior minister, I'm an assistant coach. <laughs> Our associate minister, assistant coach. See, because we think we're in charge, but we're really not. Because, you know, God's the owner, Jesus is the manager, and Holy Spirit's the head coach. So that's really how it is. And so think of all ministry staff that could ever be. Children's minister, worship minister, all that. They're going to be the assistant coaches for today. But we also can't forget our special teams and our specialty coaches. Because really they're the ones that win the game. You know, that have the trick plays or that, that can really set up for, for a really good defensive uh, stance in the red zone, if you will. And so we can't forget our special teams and our specialty coaches. And so those guys are our defensive coach, offensive coach, uh, the, the kicking coach, if you will, the, the you know, the, all those different specialties. That's going to be our elders and our deacons and our ministry leaders. OK, so you guys all tracking where my mind has gone so far today. This is where we're at. So we have, we have all these coaches, all right? And these coaches, the elders, deacons, ministry leaders, they're our specialty team coaches. But then we have the team, all right? And, 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 and it doesn't really matter how good the coaches are. If, if the team's not in it, it's all for nothing anyways. And so, so we're the team, the, the members. You guys are the team. But you also have to remember that, that when, when, you're, when you're wrapped up in a team, that a, a championship team, there, there are team players, and some of them are playing 
um, many different things. Some of you may, be, you may be on the offense, but you're also on the punt return or the, the kicking team. Or, you, you know, you've got some specialty teams going on. And so it's, it's not enough just to say, hey, I'm on the team. You typically strive for, for something else when you're on a team. You want to be, uh, uh, how do you say, you just want to be active and you want to be involved. And you want to make a difference on that team. And that's where you get team players that, that do different things. And here's the key. You have to know the strategy. And, and in this team, nobody gets to sit the bench, okay? Nobody rides the pine because you don't get any action there. You don't get to score. You don't get to intercept. You don't get to cause a fumble. You don't do any of that when you're just sitting on the bench and you coaches out there are like, yep, that's true. And, and we're not going to put up with, with any more pew sitting. We've got to get active on this team. No one gets to just sit the pew. There's an active position on this team for everyone that's here. For every one of us, there's an active position, but you have to know the strategy. And in order to really know the strategy, you have to know the playbook. And the only way to know the playbook is to study it. And if you haven't figured it out yet, the Bible is our playbook. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. Um, And I thank you that, that because of your word and because of your son, we can be bold in proclaiming it. And I ask, Lord, that that you would just open up our hearts, open up our minds to see where you lead us this year. In your son's name we pray, amen. You see, as I was preparing for this sermon, I decided that I was going to take a look at the early church. When when you think about game plan, it's kind of neat because you think, well, the book of Acts, they had it all together. They had a game plan from the beginning. No, no, they really didn't. But... That's where we're going to start. I was looking into the book of Acts to the early church, and I was thinking about what starting a church must have been like for them. In the upper room on the day of Pentecost, there were around 120 people. By the end of that day, basically, um, there was over 3,000 that had gathered. Talk about, like, church growth. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) It was amazing. But here's the thing. What did the disciples do? How, how did they handle what, what would most likely have been utter chaos and confusion? You start out the day with 120 people, and now all of a sudden, everybody's going, up, me next, me next, I want in. I have no idea, but as I look at this, some of the people, um, they just glorify the early church today. A lot of folks, I hear people, Christian people going, oh, we need to be like the Church of Acts. Because the Church of Acts had it all together. They, they did great things. The early church, they, they met with each other and they loved each other. And, and sometimes we get, we get really focused on, on the early church and we forget about the Christ that the early church represented. And so as I look at all these things and I, and I bring it all together, I don't want us to forget that the early church had problems too from the beginning. And as I look deeper in it, I understand that, that leaders... They, they had seen crowds. They, these men had traveled with Jesus for three years, roughly. And they, they saw thousands of people at one time. They saw Jesus feed thousands of people. They were accustomed to crowds coming to see Jesus. <clears throat> but I think back that 3,000 new converts in one day must have been somewhat overwhelming and a little bit terrifying. The early church, after all, had leaders who were completely green they had leaders that, that had gone through a really good training course, if you will, three years with Jesus, three years with the general manager of the team. They knew the playbook. They knew what to do. And then all of a sudden, they are leaders of 3,000 or so people. 
They had these new leaders. They also had, they had leaders who had ever, never actually led because they were leaders who previous to this had basically followed. And, and at the first time they were turned on their own, they were scared and they hid. Okay? Now they're emboldened with the Holy Spirit and they're starting to lead. The, a closer look showed also in the new churches and in, in, in Acts and, and churches in the New Testament, people fighting about who was going to serve who. Who was going to take care of widows? Who was going to take care of orphans? People were vying for power. And people were even distorting the scriptures in the new church already. So young. It's amazing when you look at that. But every letter that's written in the New Testament to the new churches, it was written to combat confusion. It was written to to help settle differences and confusion over gifts and salvation and even Judaism and what it was. The letters told the adults, essentially, who were a lot of times acting like children, to knock it off. The early church was, was kind of like organized chaos. And as I continue to look into it, as I continue to read through Acts, I remember thinking, hmm, I see us here. <laughs> I do. I, because here's the thing. We can all relate to these circumstances. We can all understand being overwhelmed as, as an individual as a, as a leader, as, as the position you hold in your job, we can all relate to that feeling of being overwhelmed at some point. And it, and it gave me a picture, though, of what we could look like if we stick with the playbook. Because here we had on the day of Pentecost these men, these 12 men, and they stood up and one of them spoke boldly with the support of the 11 behind him. And he began to tell people what was going on and tell them what was right. Look at this in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Because my thought is, if God could use these green new leaders and confused people in the first century, that he could do it here and now as well. Acts 2.38, and that's where we're going to pick up. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The, now, now let me back up just a touch. This is his response because he had preached and he had told them what was going on and what was going wrong. And they said, well, what should we do? And so his response right then is repent and be baptized, every one of you. As we move along, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Verse 40, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this, Excuse me, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 42, they, they didn't just stop there. They didn't just join the team that day. They didn't just get baptized. They go on. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, like I said, they didn't just join the team. They made a commitment. They devoted themselves to knowing the playbook. They listened to the disciples. Hey, they, in short, they were like, hey, we, we hear the message, but what can we do about it? And the response was repent and be baptized. 
for the forgiveness of your sins. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. That's what they were told. And they did it. But they didn't just stop there. They continued on from there. They met together. We call that huddles if you want. They, they met together. They, they learned the disciples' teachings. They fellowshiped with one another. They gave. That group, that small group of only 3,120 people, roughly, changed the dynamics of their culture. They changed the dynamics of their culture. One day, they were people who watched the crucifixion of Jesus. The next time they're confronted about it, they become followers of him. It's amazing how that works. They did it, and it it didn't stop. They did these things by asking what was required of them. And once they knew what was required of them, they did it without hesitation. We all know the playbook. We all have a Bible. Matter of fact, in America, most Christian families have more Bibles in their homes than a small village has for everyone to share. Having the playbook is not enough. Opening it, glancing through it from time to time, at Easter or at Christmas or at a birthday or a funeral or at a wedding, that's not enough. Knowing a few plays isn't enough to get you through the whole game. You have to know the playbook. You have to know it from start to finish. We have to know it. During the game, we make mistakes. We fumble. We miss passes. We punt, or uh, excuse me, we kick to the wide right or wide left, depending on where you're at. Uh, we're getting ready to have some amazing football games coming up. And I can tell you right now, and I'm not a prophet, people are going to drop passes. Somebody's going to fumble. Somebody's going to score touchdown. They're going to get first downs. Somebody is going to miss when the coach is on the sideline and he calls out the play. There's going to be a guy on the field that misses that play. He's going to miss that call. He's going to read it out of his peripheral. He's going to see the wrong signal. And he's going to do the opposite of what everybody else did. And then the announcers are going to go, oh, that's a rookie mistake. He shouldn't have done that, Bob, because that's how they work when you're a sports announcer. And it's very easy to criticize the action on the field when you're sitting in your comfortable chair. That's what's going to happen. We need to be determined because the same thing happens to us. We miss, we miss a kick return. We miss an easy handoff. Sometimes we just miss things. We need to be determined. We need to keep trying. And we need to trust in the Lord to lead us farther. And to cover our mistakes. We should know the playbook. We should pray. And the Lord will show us where we need to be. And how we need to change. You see, here's the thing. As we move forward this year. As we challenge you to step up. To become active on this team. To be involved in this team. There are a lot of questions that people have. But I want you to understand. As as we move forward. As we grow spiritually. As we grow physically. As we impact this community. We're going to have new leaders that we're going to train and that are going to be developed. And, and here's the thing. If a group leader fails at something, God will bring it to our awareness. See, because he's the team owner. And Jesus is the general manager. And the Holy Spirit is the head coach. And when we know our playbook and when we, when we understand it from start to finish, if someone tries to cause division on this team, the Holy Spirit is going to point that out. Okay? 
And we're going to be able to deal with it. We're going to be able to stop it. No matter what it is, whether it's gossip or slander or, or a bad hair day, it's, it's going to work out. But as more people step up to be a part of this team, the sad news is that we will all inevitably make mistakes. And when we do, we should gently shepherd one another and give one another instruction and grace. You know what you very rarely see when a kicker goes wide left or right, wide right? You don't see it publicly on the field. They may haze him in the locker room, but on the field, the team comes up and they, they grab his head or they, they give him a little pat of encouragement. It's okay, you'll get it next time. That's what we need to be. That's how we need to be. As more people step up, we're going to make mistakes. We need to be there to encourage and to pull each other up, dust them off and send them back out onto the field again, wiser from that failure, wiser from that mistake. That's what we need to do. Because when it comes right down to it, what choice do we have? Because when we read the playbook and when we learn the playbook and we see that we are called to lead as God defines it, because it's God who makes his church grow. It's not my dynamic speaking abilities. Go ahead. You can laugh. I know. It's not Andy's amazing skills with our website and setting things out like this to encourage. That's not the stuff that makes a church grow. It's God's to make grow. His spirit moving among people. I want you to look also in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I want to see, I want to share with you what Paul wrote to Timothy and see what we can learn a little bit more from the playbook. I love hearing those pages turn. I don't have that app. It just it's so silent. There you go. Second Timothy verse four, or excuse me, chapter four, verse one. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now, I understand you may be thinking, well, he's, he's, he wrote that to Timothy. Yes, yes, he did. And today, you all are named Timothy. Okay? So, here it is. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Listen, a championship team doesn't happen because in the off season everybody goes home and sits on their couch and does nothing. A championship team happens because in the offseason, as individuals, the players are training and, they're, and they're, they're learning more plays and they're focusing and they're watching films of past games and they're doing everything they can to prepare themselves for the next season, meeting together. So here's the thing. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. We need to correct. We need to rebuke. We need to encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to also to all who have longed for his appearing. I love verse 3 and 4. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Listen, the playbook says, don't turn your ears away from the truth. He's telling us that. Don't turn your ears away from the truth. We need to seek and choose to hear the truth. Not the almost truth. Not the feel-good truth. Not the, you know, truth that just kind of lets me know I'm going to make it through life. We need to seek and choose to hear the absolute truth from God's word. And we need to apply it to our lives. Even when we're looking for and we're listening for the truth, sometimes the world around us starts tossing things at us and and they sound almost true and they look really nice. And we think that's something we could maybe be a part of. But again, if we check the playbook, verse 5, keep your head in all situations. That means no matter what's coming at you, work or family or school, whatever it is, keep your head. Endure hardship. No great game is ever won without hardship. You you get down to the very end and and they're calling out, you know, there's half the team is on the injured list. And and here comes Rudy, you know, out of nowhere. And and everybody wants him to score the touchdown. You have to endure hardship sometimes. And he says, do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. That means share the burden. Give it to other people to come alongside. That means that as much as I want to, I don't get to do it all by myself. And, and, I don't, and Andy doesn't get to do it all by himself. And the elders don't get to do it all by themselves. We have to discharge things out because we need our team. We need our special teams to come in and kick that onside kick so we can recover the ball, so we can score the final touchdown and win the game. The playbook says that we should keep our heads in all situations. That means that no more getting crazy and losing our minds with one another. Because a lot of times what you do see in practices is teammates clashing, disagreeing about your stance you took or or what you did and you didn't do it right. Well, what makes you think you're better than me at doing this? Because I've been doing this for 10 years and da-da-da. Keep your head in all situations. The folks that we work with, the people we live with. I understand families are weird sometimes. Keep your head. Endure those family hardships together. And if you need to, come inside the church and say, Hey, I'm I'm looking for one of those specialty coaches because I need a little help with this situation. That's why we have the elders. It's what they do. There are specialty coaches, our shepherd coaches, if you will. I think I'm going to get them jerseys. But that's, that's uh, we keep our head in all situations. And I know it's easy to say, and sometimes it's extremely hard to do, but that doesn't mean that we just don't try anymore. It doesn't mean we just give in to what's easy because it's so easy to fight amongst each other. It's so easy for my opinion to be the only one that matters. But that's why we have a playbook. And that's why we have a, 
a staff system and a, and a coaching system, if you will. And that's why on the NFL and in college, the guys are up in the box watching everything from the field, and they're going, hey, that last play was a dud. Don't ever do that again because it's just bad. Okay, We're going to move forward from there. We're going to call a different play, or we're going to call an audible. That's, that's what it is. Sometimes it's hard, but it doesn't mean we just give up. It means we try harder. Again, no, no good victory is attained by just halfway trying to win the game. If you're struggling with something, find somebody to be accountable to. That's the coolest thing about a team is, is that if you're struggling with something, you go to that person on the team, you go, hey, I'm really weak on this. Can you work out with me on that? Can you spot me while I'm working this part so that I don't drop weights on my head? Can you help me be faster, jump higher? Maybe you're struggling with a playbook. I'm just not getting these plays. Will you sit down and go over them with me? That's the cool part about a team. Because where you're weak, I'm strong. And where I'm weak, you're strong. And when we share those things, the encouragement and the strength and the unity that comes out of it makes us an unstoppable force. And it puts us in line for a championship season against Satan and against powers of darkness, not because of us, but because of God in us and because he is the focal point of this team. Paul then says, and again, if we're following the example of this playbook and Paul's advice to Timothy, he says, we should do the work of an evangelist. And if you're not sure what the work of an evangelist is, you can find the answer in the playbook. Okay. Matthew chapter 28 Verse 18 sums it up very nicely. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, Jesus is not with us just to the end of the game. He is with us to the very end of the age. And it's very simple. The playbook says, go and tell everyone you know about Jesus. Make disciples. Did you hear that? Make disciples. And what that means? That means you have to learn the playbook. Because you're not make. I'm not here to make disciples of Fat Rock. Okay? And, and you're not here to make disciples of you. We are here to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And we can only do that when we know the playbook. And when we take the playbook and we sit down and we share it with somebody else. And when we bring in those accountabilities and those things that I've talked about, that's where we begin to make disciples. That's where our team gets stronger. Also, baptize them and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. The team needs to know the playbook. It doesn't matter how well the team owner knows the playbook. It doesn't matter how well the head coach or the assistant coaches know the playbook. It doesn't matter how well the specialty teams and the coaches know the playbook. If the team, if the players don't know the playbook or the plays, and you step onto the field without that knowledge, all is lost. We must know the playbook. We need to find out our strategy And our strategy from the playbook is our vision. But more than that, our strategy is God's vision for us. And we find that when we begin to just envelop ourselves in the playbook that is the Bible. 
I want to bring this home right now. I want to close out today by sharing with you some of the introduction of an Andy Stanley book that I'm reading. I'm reading, and it's and the book is titled Visioneering. And here's what he says about vision. Here's what he says about our strategy as Christians, what he has gathered from the playbook. And I thought, man, this just sums it up very nicely. And so here's what Andy Stanley says. He says, Christians, we do not have the right to take our talents, abilities, experiences, and opportunities and education and run off in any direction we please. We lost that right at Calvary. But then why would we dream of such a thing? Because God has a vision for your life. What could possibly be more fulfilling than knowing that? At the same time, we have no right to live visionless lives either. Think about this. If God has a vision for what you are to do with your life, with your allotment of years on this earth, you'd better get on with it and finding out what it is. What a tragedy to miss out on that. Missing out on God's plan for our lives must be the greatest tragedy this side of eternity. Granted, the world offers a truckload of options when it comes to possible visions to pursue. But you were tailor-made, carefully crafted, and minutely detailed for a select divine agenda. It's what you were created and later recreated for. God's vision for your life is the thing that will give you impact beyond this life. You see, God's visions always have an eternal element. His individual vision for your life is a small part of a plan that he put together and that he envisioned and put in motion long before you or I came on the scene. Without God's vision, you may find yourself in the all too common position of looking back on a life that was given to the accumulation of of green pieces of paper with pictures of dead presidents on them. Now I understand that is vision. And maybe that's been your vision until now. And, and maybe you've been very successful at the accumulation game. But let's face it. Each milestone in our pursuit for more stuff, we end up feeling like we did as a child on Christmas Day when all the paper's on the floor and everything's been opened. We look around and go, oh, is that it? Didn't matter if we got two gifts or 20. When we got to that last one and we're, we're still looking under the tree. Is that it? And, and if, our, if our vision has been to accumulate and you look back on your life, that's what it's going to be like. Chances are, if we're honest, the, the memories of our successes, they elicit little or no passion any longer. They're just memories. Because after all, a closing is just a closing and a sale is just a sale and the deal is just a deal. And the problem with this kind of vision, the the problem with focusing on the worldly playbook is that you get to that place where you think I've arrived. I am there and people love me for it. Once you get there, you look back and realize that even your biggest achievement leaves you feeling less than average. But when we focus on God's playbook, when, when we learn the plays, when we apply them to our lives, and when we put others' needs before our own, when we look for opportunities to shine our light for Him in our community and in our school and in our workplace, when we live every day for the single purpose of honoring God, we will never arrive. Even in retirement, we will serve on and shine on. And when God calls us home, He will say, Well done good and faithful servant.
The game plan is here. It's before us. The strategy is simple. Learn the playbook. And no matter what, live out those plays. I want to challenge you. If you've made and broke your New Year's resolution already, don't be dismayed. It's okay. I want to challenge you that from right here on out, as we go through 2012, if you do nothing else, learn the playbook. Read God's word. And do whatever it takes to apply it to your life. At home, at school, at work, and in your community. Because when we do that, when we all do that, it's not about the size of the team. It's not about, you know, the Hoosiers basketball show, movie. You know, they had seven kids on the team and one of them, you know, couldn't play. And so they had six and they go all the way to the championships. You know why? Because they had vision. They knew their playbook. They had strategy. They had accountability with one another. They had all these things. And they rose through and had a championship season. And, and for us, a championship season is not just one year. It's, it's getting ourselves and everybody around us to eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven. That's when we really see our championship season. And there's a lot of hard work between now and then. So I want to challenge you for 2012. Pick up the playbook. Don't let it sit any longer. You don't have to read it from Genesis all the way through. You know, it, it's okay. Come up with a plan. What I do and, and how I study is going to be different than how you study and how you read. So find out what works for you. And then you get a teammate and you say, hey, I'm going to try this. And when you see me, you need to say, how much have you read this week? We're going to talk more next week about getting and staying spiritually fit. And, and so you're going to hear some more about this. But as for today, if you have a decision on your heart, if you want to start this year different than how you ended last year, by all means, come forward. But my prayer is that as we move through this year, we will not just pick up our playbook and carry it around and show it to people, but we'll read it and we'll apply it to our lives. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for today. And I thank you for your word. And Lord, I just ask that as we step into a new year, a new season, that we can do things differently. That we will... We will study your word. We will apply it to our lives. And that in doing so, we will change the dynamics of this very community. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us, please?